this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Yuta from Parity Technologies. Yuta is the co-founder and CEO of Parity, where she and the team are building an internet where users' privacy and control come first. At Parity, they are best known for Parity Ethereum, the world's most advanced Ethereum client. Previously, before Parity and Polkadot, Yuta served as chief of security for the Ethereum Foundation and pioneered blockchain use in supply chains as Project Providence co-founder. Yuta has a PhD in applied mathematics, um, where she is obviously spreading that knowledge uh, and awareness to the building of Web 3.0. And so we talked a lot about uh, Parity and Polkadot. We talked about things like Substrate, which is making uh, building blockchains a lot easier. We talked at a high level about Polkadot. And so for people who know about it, obviously this will be a refresh for people who don't. This is something that you should definitely uh, take a listen to. Um, why? Because we talked a lot about the importance of interoperability, having the ability to connect chains with distinct uh, states and be able to work all together. This is very difficult, and this is really important as we continue to look to scale different chains and we look to actually build applications on top of these different substrates of things that are being built uh, on a distributed and decentralized manner. And so we talked about that. We also talked about the languages that uh, some of these projects are using. We talked about Solidity versus Rust and some of the other different language barriers. Um, And lastly, we talked about uh, governance. This is a great overarching conversation. Yuta is so, so in the know on so many different things here. And so this was a pleasure. It took us a while to get to this point, but I'm so happy that we did. So remember, nothing on Layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear an amazing conversation with Yuta. Take care. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer, one that I am really excited about. We've wanted to get the folks on from Parity on for a long time, and I am really happy that we have Yuta from Parity with us today. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing great. Really excited about this. If you don't know what Parity is, if you don't know what Polkadot is, and you're in crypto, I'd be really surprised. But this is going to be a great overview of what's happening there right now. And for people who are less familiar with it, and that would be the institutional investors, the family offices of the world out there, what Parity and Polkadot are up to is really important. And a lot of people are using them uh, as a key piece of infrastructure within the overall crypto space. So if you could, what we like to do from the onset, Yuta, is talk a little bit about your past. So what did you do before uh, Parity and everything that was happening in crypto? And how did you find your way into it? We don't go into the quote unquote, when Bitcoin moment, we don't really talk about that origin, but more about what about blockchains? What about the overall technological innovations really led you to this to say, okay, this is where I want to spend the better part of my professional career building around? Mm, That's a really good question. Um, So I'm a mathematician by by training originally. Um, Nothing related to crypto, or like at least not directly, philosophically, I would say. So I was a a researcher um, in mathematical physics, uh, so studying emergent effects in complex systems. So I guess in that regard, it has uh, quite a few similarities. 
But as I said, nothing about the fundamental maths that we use every day in blockchain. And then um, I always always was super interested in how to use real-world problems with maths. And when I came across blockchain, I had, I had left university, was working as a management consultant um, for McKinsey back at the time. And, and I got more and more interested in how the web works. And I got really frustrated and scared um, when I heard about the Snowden revelations. I mean, I think I, there were many other things that, that I had gotten aware of even before, but like the Snowden revelations really crystallized um, these more subtle uh, things that, that I was seeing. And, and I was looking for, for like personally for a solution, like what, what, how can we, how can we design the, the infrastructure in a better way such that we are less dependent on all the middlemen and, and this is how I accidentally came across um, people chatting in in forums on Reddit when Reddit was still a good place to hang out, um, discussing Ethereum um, as a as a means for building decentralized um, infrastructure for storing and sharing data. And then met people at the at the meetup here in Berlin, and and that's how I got to know the the folks at Ethereum. And and then later on um, when when Gav and I uh, left the foundation, um, we were really keen to further build out that infrastructure that Gav had um, started to describe as web-free, as that future decentralized web. And, and so this is where we started Parity Technologies as a company uh, to further build out that, that vision. And so I think this is super interesting because I've been talking about this a lot lately. So when... A person who is outside of this realm, uh, what I would define as a non-technocrat, when they do a search or when they use their mobile device and they go on Google and they search for the best recipe for chili because it's fall here in the States and people like to make chili or when they look for how they can go to Bali for the cheapest flight, all of that happens. There is so much behind that. There are processes that happen behind the scene at, you know, obviously lightning speed. Um, and But there is this whole stack that's involved that is obviously very controlled and then is very centralized. But I don't think people – it's interesting you brought up Snowden because no one has really brought up Snowden as that kind of catalytical moment. I call it an awakening. And I think many people need to have this awakening. Um, I'm curious because obviously you're overseas. You know, we're in the States here, but there's a lot of things that are happening with like GDPR and this emphasis on privacy. Do you think that privacy is really maybe the catalyst that brings a lot of people into this awakening? I know we're getting, we're deviating really quickly from kind of some of the topics, but I just, as someone who brought up Snowden, I think this is super interesting. Do you think privacy is maybe one of the catalysts that get people to really take a look at this? I think it's it's a catalyst in the sense that it makes people really question um, what is going on online. I mean, in some ways, um, it's interesting when you look at the adoption of the internet, right? I mean, really all these shiny apps and like when user experience became um, became really great, that, that was on the one hand um, really helpful for the adoption and like things becoming digital. But at the same time, it also meant because it was all so discreet, um, we stopped questioning really what's going on behind it. And, and I think it, it took quite a long time for people to realize like that basically when, when they're, when they're communicating on their phones or, 
or executing a transaction or whatnot. Like they, they, there's always middlemen in between, and they have basically zero control over this. Like it looks most most of the times, those services are online and 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 they do what I expect them to do. But um, but but I've in the end no control that this is that this is always going to be the case. And and really with um, with blockchain, it was the first time that we had this. The certainty that expectation management hard coded that we knew um, that what we think we were relying on or think what, what were offered uh, we could actually trust and 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 um, and know the truth um, what's going on behind it right and so the mission statement blockchain infrastructure for the decentralized web so moving from 1.0 to 2.0 to 2.5 you know some people have said that we're <laughs> we're not necessarily at 3 yet are we there are we there at 3 yet in your opinion from what you've been able to build and what you've been able to see around you are we at 3.0 yet or if we're not when do you think that's going to happen hmm. i think we're getting really close so let's let, let's maybe Let's maybe uh, dive a bit deeper what, what we mean by that. So Bitcoin's really like um, 1.0, so the very first version. Then Ethereum Zcash, so adding functionality 2.0. And like now I think um, with things like uh, more scalability, um, governance added on top, like that's that's what I would call the third generation of, of blockchain tech. And and I mean, we're getting much closer to launch, um, maybe still this year, um, otherwise very early next year. And and that's really um, where I see things um, uh, getting to a next next level. Scalability obviously was always a big um, issue with uh, with the existing systems. I mean, I guess people remember the uh, uh, the transactions uh, happening on Bitcoin or later on. Um, with Ethereum during the ICOs or the crypto kitty craze. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I won't make any predictions whether it's like three years from now that, that we'll all use blockchain on on each, on every application we interact with on a daily basis or whether it's five years, but we're, we're really getting close. And it's, it's quite um, amazing to see um, all the different projects that leverage what we're building. So part of what we're building really is technology for others to build better tech. Like that's really behind um, Polkadot and Substrate. And and we've now got a very um, a very uh, versatile and powerful platform to do this. So let's talk about Substrate, and then we're going to talk about scalability. We've got a bunch of things we want to unpack here for the next uh, 30 or so minutes. So Substrate. Um, I love how the idea and what you have, you know, obviously been building with Substrate is to make building easier. One of the problems, in my opinion, is that, and again, I've said this before, and this is not a knock on Ethereum. I do like Ethereum. I do like Bitcoin. Everyone knows that I am not a maximalist in any one particular camp, but, you know, with issues with solidity, it has not been the easiest language to kind of adapt to. I know that we, you guys are using Rust and some other things, and so we'll talk a little bit more about language barriers. But with Substrate, making building easier, what does that mean and how important is that to the overall success of, of digital assets mm-hmm. and crypto? Mm-hmm. So um, Substrate is a framework, a developer framework for building blockchains. So what we're doing with this is making it really easy to build a blockchain. So what, what does that mean? Like when you go back, so building Ethereum took roughly one and a half years. Later on, we've built within parity other um, implementations. We built a new Ethereum implementation. Uh, we built a Bitcoin implementation. 
um, we build a Zcash implementation. Like that's processes that that take months, if not, for example, for Ethereum years. And so, um, at the same time, like there's ways of abstract abstracting a lot of the building blocks uh, that you need to have in place in order to launch a blockchain, like the um, underlying networking on the on the lowest level, for example. And and that's really what we've done with Substrate. So when we started to um, to implement Polkadot, we realized ourselves, okay, we're we're doing it all over again, building a new blockchain. So so let's let's uh, let's package this up and and abstract it also because it makes developing for us way easier um, into a framework. That's really the origin of Substrate, and it adds um, when you look back at um, uh, at at the evolution. Like with with Bitcoin, what you could do is like very simple um, financial transactions. Now then, Ethereum gave you this. Um, on a very high level, very easy to use with the JavaScript like language, like Solidity, a very easy to use framework to build decentralized applications. Yet at the same time, if something is very easy to use, often it comes with a lot of overhead. And that's what we're seeing. Like um, you can't um, easily customize it to a use case and, and people become dependent a lot on the general um, the general way forward of, of the platform. And, and by adding Substrate to the game, you really get, get the range in between launching your own chain, like building everything across the stack and just sort of having the um, the smart contract layer on the top level. And that, from my perspective, will add a very um, interesting um, uh, base layer and framework to, to further explore um, the potential of the technology because they can now much more easily assimilate um, uh, other technologies as they come along, for example, zero-knowledge proofs. Right. It's almost, in my opinion, I try to make things anecdotal or analogies, things that are more tangible for people that are less technically, obviously, savvy. It's almost like having a prefab building or house. And so instead of having to build the entire infrastructure, entire the entire foundation, everything from scratch, you already kind of have some things already in place so you can kind of customize, you can make things, everything speeds up. And so that's kind of what I see with Substrate is that it's an idea to hopefully make blockchain development speed up. So you don't have to go from, you know, zero, you can obviously go from, you know, you already got a running start. And so you already have things in place and make it easier. So I I like that. Um, High level polka dot. So I wanted to go into a high level of polka dot, if you could, what is it? What is it meant to do? And then we're going to talk about interoperability and about uh, how Polkadot lets chains pull security resources, et cetera. But for people out there that mm-hmm. are less familiar with Polkadot, what is it and what does it do? And then we'll go into obviously more higher level uh, kind of discussions on what's happening with the Polkadot. Great. Um, so Polkadot is a network of heterogeneous blockchains. Um that is connected uh, via a relay chain. And I'll uh, now dig into all these terms. Uh, So why is that relevant? So heterogeneous um, goes back to what we just discussed. um, Ethereum is great because it's it's super flexible, like it's super flexible, gives you a lot of of options because you have that full-blown virtual machine on top. But at the same time, you might have a very domain-specific application um, in in mind like like payments or private payments for example and so uh, but still I mean just payments is boring because what do you pay for they must be digital assets and and they might live on a different chain um, uh, for efficiency reasons and so 
one thing that Polkadot lets you do is um, have all these chains run in par parallel, but then you can still transact between the chains through that relay chain. And in addition, um, one thing that we thought would be very useful going forward is further abstracting um, the, uh, the canonicalization, like the writing of history, um, the, the core power of a blockchain um, into this relay chain. So that if you want to launch a new chain, you don't have to build your community from scratch, the, the miner or staker community, but you can tie into the existing network and secure your chain um, as part of this existing network. Um, so strengthening the network effects instead of competing for the scarce resource, which is the, um, the mining resource, basically. Right. And so connecting chains with distinct state machines to consensus. So for people, obviously, mm. we, we should know this, obviously, that there's proof of work, <laughs> there's proof of stake, there's delegated. I think there's nothing in blockchain at this stage that you should know. It's become <laughs> such a big space. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully people have been listening to this show long enough for the last year, almost a year, so they get a sense that there are different uh, state machines and models out there. So hopefully people listen enough. Um, but it's interesting. So how does, you know, can you break it down a little bit further? So a, mm -hmm. a, a blockchain that is working on proof of work versus one that might be working on delegated proof of stake, how hard is it to get them to work together? Um, so... With Polkadot, you get a lot um, directly out of the box, like different chains talking together. So say, as I said, like with the um, with a, with a Bitcoin-like chain that does payments and, a, and, a, and then a, um, an Ethereum-like chain that does smart contracts, like that's basically um, a small script that you need to write in order to, or, and, and then use um, pre- written components um, in order to make that happen. So there are modules um, that you can leverage, like his entire library of modules. Um, so you can very easily customize your domain-specific um, chain um, and, and have them by default, because you're using Substrate as a framework, have them talk to, talk to Polkadot. Um, so, and that's one of the big things we're working on at the moment, like um, making all these different libraries available and 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 so you can you can leverage and and use the power of open source. I mean that that's really um, that's really what we're doing. All right. And so I'm curious. There's been a lot of talk lately. You know, I'm not going to go into the Libra conversation because I'm mm -hmm. getting kind of tired of that. But there's been more talk about private chains, and it seems yeah. that corporations out there who want to lever blockchain. Um, who are not as well-versed about some of the things that are happening on Ethereum with privacy layers um, and some of the kind of side chains that are happening and zero-knowledge proofs, they have opted to go more, you know, kind of what I would say almost the easy route of using private chains. So can what is your thought about how private chains mm -hmm. interacting with public chains, how does that, or do you see that as a future? Do you think that, you know, there's, you know, there is a reason for that? Or do you think, you know, going forward that maybe hopefully in the future that public chains really become the model? Or do you think that there's a future where private and public chains will continue to work together? Mm. So I think going forward, um, the distinction will actually be less about pub or like along the lines of public and private. I think we're going to see chains that are perceived as like general infrastructure um, and then 
very domain specific uh, chains, but I wouldn't think of them as necessarily private. It's more to me domain specific because you leverage that certain things, certain transactions happen in clusters and therefore make sense to keep them in one chain because going from one chain to another always is a bit more expensive than uh, just transacting within one chain. So to me, that distinction between private and public blockchain was always very artificial because of where we were at with the, with the technology. And it's not the change we're going to see going forward. It's more about the, the, different, the different domains where blockchain will be used. Um, yet at the same time, I mean, you could use those frameworks and, and bridge a private chain um, into a public chain. If, right. if that's one of the things you're um, you're concerned about. So Polkadot lets chains pull security resources. What does that mean? And discuss the importance of that. Mm-hmm. So um, if you go back, I think it's it's also, I mean, as many things, it's not it's not a complete entirely new idea. Like people were discussing this, I guess, for the f- first time. At least I was when I became aware of it in the context of. Um, of side chains for Bitcoin and and pooled um, uh, and also pooled mining, um, but it was technologically done or envisioned a bit differently, and and people questioned whether it, whether it could work with Bitcoin. Um, so, but that realization that really the mining um, is a scarce resource and that you need to find a way of um, if you want if so if you believe in a in a future where there's there's a multitude of chains because that's um, just more useful because you can customize them, then the next question that automatically comes up is, um, okay, like how do you secure them? And, and uh, if, if, they are, um, if they don't share the mining um, infrastructure, then they necessarily compete and that will reduce the security of each of the chains. So you better pool, better find a way of pooling them and actually jointly mining them or staking them uh, with the new consensus algorithms um, in order to uh, make the system stronger as a whole. And, and that's what we're, we're doing with the um, um, pool security in the relay chain. So the relay chain basically does two things for you. It ensures you can um, send uh, uh, cross-chain transactions. Um, mm-hmm. So have the Bitcoin-like chain talk to the Ethereum-like chain um, and uh, lets you pool the uh, uh, the securitization of the chains. I think that's really important. We've we had you know the folks at Cosmos on a while back, and there's you know interoperability. I think, in my opinion, is something that is incredibly important. And I know people obviously are addressing mm-hmm. it like you, but I think it's really important because we have you know lots of different blockchains out there that you know effectively could work together and should work together to create really, really formidable platforms and application layers that people really want to use. Mm. And so I'm, I'm really interested to see how that continues to uh, go on. So with scalability um, has been a major narrative around, you know, people trying to get faster. We've seen a lot of, you know, press releases about going from, you know, kind of three transactions per second, which is kind of what the L1 of Bitcoin is. And then we've seen Lightning, which is obviously an L2 solution. We've seen you know, with Ethereum at the L1 layer being around, you know, sub 10. And then we've seen, uh, you know, other people trying to other projects getting it faster, again, using other mechanisms in place of so scalability. So I see him mentioning that Polkadot increases throughput by paralyzing transactions, um, not by like paralyzing, like mm-hmm. making someone paralyzed, but by, by, by doing it, uh, I guess, through a mechanism that you'll talk more about. So what does that entail? And I'm also curious... Mm-hmm. 
Is there any inherent issues with scaling that are based on the architecture of the chains? So one of the things that we've talked a lot about in the show is that with the Bitcoin blockchain, that's very linear. It's block by block by block, and you have one megabyte, and you have 10-minute propagation. But in other kind of more theoretical ones like Hedera Hashgraph and some of the other ones that are using DAGs like IOTA, you know, what do you think about that? How do you see that evolving? Do you see, you know, anything, you know, potentially in theoretical uh, chains out there that could make things faster? And then we'll talk more about other issues in scalability. But, you know, first of all, you know, increasing throughput by this this transaction paralyzing, and then, you know, what the inherent issues, if there are any, in your opinion, on the scaling issues on the architecture of the chains? Mm. Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, so... Um, there's different, uh, so there's, first of all, there's no magic solution to increasing, um, increasing, um, uh, scalability. So either you do make some smart decisions and you make use of basically the fact that certain transactions happen in clusters and not necessarily does everybody need to talk to everyone at the same time. Like this is not a dense network, right? Like not everybody sends the transaction every second to each other account. Um, so you can be smart about that or compromise on others. Like for example, um, finality, um, the notion that something like this, um, and that things on um, the notion that at each moment you do know a global state. Um, and that's something that we think is actually quite important and that we did not want to compromise on. But instead, we wanted to be, um, uh, we wanted to rather leverage the fact that um, certain transactions should should happen on one chain and, and other transactions should happen on, on a different chain. And then, um, and then every now and then, or like on a regular basis, like for each block, you you consolidate consolidate across the chains. It's really not very different from the way how we do this um, at the at the moment with completely disconnected uh, centralized architecture, right? At the moment we do this in the centralized way with clearing houses and whatnot. But like you you use the, the fact that certain transactions happen in in this clustered way, and so Polkadot has a relay chain. So um, there's always a bit of overhead. It's always it always will take a little bit longer to transact across chains, but in many cases um, that's something. Um, uh, that's fine that you can that you can live with and then long term um, the way how Polkadot achieves scaling is basically in a hierarchical way so you can have relay chains um, of relay chains so uh, and that's another reason why having subshreds so useful because um, it's a framework and so building a blockchain of blockchains um, is something you can very relatively easily do with substrate so you know, the other thing I see is that um, it doesn't sound like you or from what I could tell, with Ethereum, there's gas and they're making things faster. Mm-hmm. Does Polkadot use that? And if not, how do you, you know, is that something, is there ever a time and a place where that would be used? Mm. So the gas discussion is a very interesting one. So, um so one thing um, you need to recognize when you build an application on Ethereum is you really tie yourself yes, as an application developer into the economics of the underlying platform because every transaction that you send, you need to pay with gas. And gas is um, just a way of measuring um, the cost 
um, in Ether effectively um, in the transaction. Now, um, with Polkadot, this is not what you need to do. If you decide to build a, a parachain um, in this network, um, the applications don't have to use uh, the dot directly um, in order to uh, pay for a transaction. And so that gives you a lot more flexibility on the um, on the application layer because you're not directly tied into the economics of the underlying platform. Got it. Um, and so I also wanted to talk about language. And so I, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. kind of the, the onset, you, you are, I believe, using Rust. Can you talk mm -hmm. about the language barrier if you think there is any? And it mm. seems that Rust is synthetically similar to C++, but it's designed to provide better memory safety while maintaining a high performance. Mm -hmm. So. Can you talk a little bit about Rust and why it's important to use that? Mm, yeah, um, it also provides a lot of tooling, um, actually, uh, which is very, um, very That's useful. Great. So when we started to use Rust in the company, that was really when we started the company. So um, almost four years ago now. So we built that new Ethereum implementation on Rust. And back then it was it was up and coming. So um, there weren't many people um, that knew it, but those people that were familiar um, were um, usually quite um, quite sophisticated systems engineers. And so um, it was really that um, that sweet spot um, that we uh, therefore could um, could leverage uh, for building our our teams. Um, that this was like uh, the primary reason we loved it, and so. It was one of these a bit more unconscious decisions uh, that turned out to be great decisions in hindsight because all the other really great systems engineers were excited about it as well. And so um, we were back at the time one of the few projects that uh, if, it, if there was other projects at all that would pay for developing in Rust. Um, and so, yeah, this turned out to be a, quite a crucial decision for the, um, the building of the company on, a, on an organizational level. Mm -hmm. And so I think the last piece that I'd like to kind of touch on is governance. And so, mm. you know, you brought that up before. And this is interesting because, you know, if, if you take a step back, not from a technological standpoint, but from just a psychology standpoint, getting lots of different people, and obviously the machines are hopefully run by people who are not at, at the terminate level yet where, you know, the computers are running everything. But, you know, there are people behind those computers and that are, you know, obviously behind the miners that are staking those particular tokens for those different, uh, obviously, consensus models. And so, you know, getting everyone on the same page about where the, the chain is going in the future and making those systematic changes and getting everyone to agree on that is not necessarily the easiest thing to do in the world. And then you have to deal with the fact that you have people that are putting these tokens that they're using for staking in cold storage. And so having to pull them from cold storage, you know, obviously from the infrastructure side and the, the kind of the wallet side and the custody side is not always the easiest thing to do. It has, it's been an issue in the past. Obviously there are people out there, there are projects out there that are addressing that. And so talk to us a little bit about governance. What do you think the future of on-chain governance may look like and how it affects and what you guys are thinking about it at, at parity and at Polkadot? Mm. Um, Governance is a really interesting, interesting uh, topic. I think uh, there was a lot of practical learning, especially in the Ethereum um, ecosystem. When you think of 
the DAO, um, the DAO issues and the DAO hard fork, and later on um, other critical issues that came up. So um, there's clearly two um, two groups. Uh, one, some that think um, there should be on-chain governance, and some that think there shouldn't be on-chain governance. So a mechanism, basically. So by on-chain governance, I mean a mechanism built into the protocol for changing the protocol. That's really what's absent in um, in Bitcoin and Ethereum's case. And probably one could argue, um, in particular in Bitcoin's case, it's part of the value proposition. You want to make changing the protocol really hard because that um, that's uh, probably tied to the reason why people think uh, Bitcoin Bitcoins are worth something because they can uh, inherently rely on the fact that it's just 21 million. But then if you if you rather think of blockchain as a platform for building applications, then of course you do care about technological improvement of the platform. Um, for example, to be able to assimilate other technologies as they come along. And 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 for us, really um, the most promising way to go about this is is building on-chain governance into the protocol. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this will play out um, when uh, when Polkadot's launched and uh, and 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 we can experiment with different approaches on chain uh how to how to drive the uh the development of the platform and so are there any roadmap uh milestones that we should know about going forward that we should keep our eyes on you know that keep on our radar going forward mm. uh yeah i think so so um we've launched an early version of Polkadot uh very recently called kusama um so it already has the Basically, the economics of the of the um, Polkadot um, uh, chain. So it was launched with the uh, with the um, Polkadot Genesis block uh, to test the crypto economics in particular. And we're gonna roll out a bunch of features uh, and activate them over time on Kusama to test them out prior to the main um, launch of Polkadot. Uh, as I said, hopefully, hopefully later this year. Um, so yeah, watch, subscribe to to our. Uh, to the newsletter or follow follow us on Twitter if you're curious to hear about those features when they get activated. Also the first um, uh, stakeholder um, votes because this is in the end the on-chain governance that will activate them. Awesome. And so moving forward, we like to also get to know our guests a little bit more aside from the work that they're doing within blockchains and crypto. And so the two areas that we like to kind of hit on, and these are two inputs I think that we put into our brain on a daily basis are things that we're reading. And I hope that you get to read outside of your main work. Obviously, you know, hopefully you get to read fiction and nonfiction and you're obviously continuing learning about things, I'm sure, as we all are in this space. And so anything that you've read recently that really kind of resonated to you, that you told your friends about, that you told your family about, something that really kind of stuck with you. And then music. Uh, what we put, you know, on our headphones and, you know, while we're traveling, while we're working on code, things of that nature. What music do you listen to uh, either for work or for, for inspiration? Mm. So I have a hard time finding time to read entire books, but um, one of the um, articles that I recently read was an MIT article about the um, exotic and unexotic underclass. So um, there's a lot of people that try to um, try to solve the problem of the unbanked, but really when you look around, like there's tons of other pre problems 
that mm. that one can solve as well. Like there's the under underbank that we mm. that everybody that we're seeing in, in all over in in societies and really uh, thinking about um, and being wise about the the problems that we're solving. Otherwise, I, I mean, I really mainly I listen to a lot of podcasts because that that goes very well with traveling and 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 waiting in queues and whatnot. I love the eighty thousand hour podcast if um, if that's also a fair recommendation in this category. <laughs> <laughs> and also music, anything that you listen to yeah. music wise? So I live in Berlin, so electronic music is really the thing. Um, Pretty Light mm -hmm. Scrud, um, Bent is great. Um, yeah, anything more really relaxing electronic music is, is pretty good. Oh, Yuta, we will have fun. As people know on the show, I was an ex-DJ. <laughs> I was an ex-DJ, and I was uh, electronic music, you know, techno and house are a very important part of my my past and my my fiber. So, uh, mm. yes. There are you should many, come visit. Come visit. <laughs> there are many good places out there, I know. Um, so... The other thing that we like to do with our guests is if there's any place where people, obviously, we, we talked about it briefly just before a minute ago, but if there's any place people can learn more about what you have been building over there or get involved with it, uh, if there are people who are more technical who want to be a part of the community. So start with people that you know might not be as technical if there's any place where people can learn more about what you're building, and then obviously anything else that they can obviously get involved with. Yeah. Uh, the new Polkadot website was just launched uh, very recently and has uh, a lot more information on on the current state of the tech. Um, you probably also find uh, the subscription for the newsletter there if you're interested. Uh, Parity's website um, has a bunch of interesting information about the company, uh, the Twitter channels uh, for both projects. And then for the more um, uh, developer-oriented uh, listeners, I guess uh, it would be the guitar channels. Um, we run, a, run a, we run most of our communication um, on on Riot. So also on that end, we're eating our own uh, own dog food, I guess. Like trying to uh, work mm -hmm. as much as possible with peer to peer communication. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, GitHub. If you want to really dive deeply into uh, into the tech. Awesome. So this is Yuta at Parity again. What they've been building, they are one of the projects that everyone knows about. And obviously, we talked a lot about interoperability, and that's really important as we look forward into the future, how these different chains will work with each other, maybe not work with each other. But effectively, there are lots of different projects and a lot of you know people trying to address these issues and building chains. Uh, to tackle different parts. And so really great conversation. I hope we can catch up with you again in six months or so, catch up on how the project is going. And again, please, everyone, check out uh, the information on their site, and we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Uta. Thank you. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca.
www.ca.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.